You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and if you're a fan of the show, this uh, forthcoming conversation, can something be forthcoming if it's immediate? The ensuing conversation that you're about to hear with uh, me and the fabulous comedian Tom Ward, I think is destined to become a favourite of yours. This is absolute com-com catnip as we discuss the balance that Tom enjoys between his gleeful absorption in the creative process and how incredibly robustly he manages his mental health. Tom does a lot of things to keep himself mentally on the straight and narrow that uh, you or I might think, oh, it would be good if I did that. He actually does them and we'll find out exactly how and why, up to and including using a burner phone so that he can't get distracted by phones. Mwah! That's probably what the people that invented phones do. You can catch up with Tom at TomWardVoice.com or follow him at TomWardComedian on Instagram or Facebook. And his Edinburgh show is called Anthem. It's in the Monkey Barrel at the Edinburgh Fringe this year. That's 2022, if you're listening in the future. That's when you missed it. It's 10.25 nightly, but not every nightly. So go to the Monkey Barrel website to find out how you get tickets for that. My own show is, as you probably just heard on a recent advert, uh, 1.25pm at the Monkey Barrel from the 4th to the 11th. But... There are 25 minutes of extra content from this episode on the therapeutic value of comedy for good or ill, keeping ambiguity accessible, and mine and Tom's shared desire to write a joke so good that we don't die alone. All of that on the Insiders feed at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Now, let's get stuck in to Tom Ward. Welcome to the show, Tom Ward. You are a fucking heroic comedian. I, and I tell you, I tell you what I mean by that. You are exactly what I like in a comedian. You are witty and warm and open-hearted and vulnerable and actually talking about the world and the way you see it in an honest way, and doing so in a really, really funny way. That is my starting point. Wow. I wish, I wish, uh, I wish the Times agreed with you, and I wish the Telegraph agreed with you, and I wish all of the broadsheets don't agree with me. They often tell me that I don't have heart, which is um, they tell you you don't have heart, which makes my make, makes my heart hurt a lot. Um, and I, uh, yeah, now I've often I've often had very sort of I've had sort of stern chats with comedians who've been going a long time, saying you know someone like Jeff uh, will take me aside, Jeff Innocent, who say Tom, a lovely shit, Tom, but. Um, Where's the heart? There's no heart in there. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. No. So, yes. Yeah, so, so, so I don't agree with that at all. Do you? Well, look, the only important critic here is you. 
Do you agree with it? Do you think you don't need to agree with all the kind of effusive praise? But do you think there's heart oh, and I agree. F- I, I agree do. fully with your 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 summary, <laughs> your preface. I thought that was second to none. Um, I don't know. I I've, I always thought I did. I always thought because I care so much about it. It matters so much to me, and I feel so completely present that I just think maybe people's version of what heart means is different to mine. Sometimes I feel like maybe they mean that you have to be clearly first person talking about your life for it to clearly be heart. And I think I'm quite reluctant to do that. It doesn't really work when I do. So I sort of uh, feel that if I'm sideways, perhaps maybe they don't see that it's actually me saying it about what I feel or what my life's been like or whatever. Yeah. So I feel like maybe the heart isn't always spotted. Um, I mean, especially among people that are clearly signposting their emotional experience in a way that's more, here we are, here's some heart. And I don't mean that in a cynical way. I just mean that they're maybe more straight up about their their feelings. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That's interesting you use the phrase first person. I know. Ex- I feel I know exactly what you mean. And that's not, a, that's not a way that people often talk about stand-up because it all appears to be first person. But some of the some of the type of material I associate with you is almost um it's like uh, describing the world it's like this you do this don't you and then they say that and then you do this and you pick one of these up you know what I mean like you're yeah. sort of framed which is almost a third person thing so I do I, I think you're you may be right in that in that supposition that uh that people then don't critics don't or whoever don't necessarily realize that you are talking about yourself because you're sort of framing it like at arm's length yeah. Is that fair? Maybe that's yeah. not the right way of saying it, but by placing, it's almost like if you, where you put the camera, most stand-ups put the camera such that we see their worldview. Yeah. If it was a movie, we'd be seeing the world through their eyes. Yeah. But you're seeing it happening to someone else. But because you're the auteur, we know it's it's about you. Or we yeah. Know it's about you. Yeah. I mean, I recently had a director. We worked together for one session and uh, she dismantled the whole show and said she didn't like it. And, and one of the things she said, <laughs> where are you in it, darling? Where are you in it? And I was like, oh, God, not this again. So I love hearing that people find the heart in it, but I also go, oh, Jesus. And yet this seems to be the one thing that keeps coming up in terms of the the issue from people who who are really looking at it. Go, yes, it's great. We love it or we like what you're doing and it's we're having a jolly time here. But, you know, we're not coming away with a real sense or a real nugget in the bag, you know. And is that just about, because I don't agree with that, but I, because I think that stuff is there and it is on display. Is it that comedy audiences like you to be more, like one, to be like, to sort of, do you know that essay thing of say what you're going to say, say it, and then say that you've said it. Like, do comedy audiences (laughs) need you to come out on stage and say, I feel sad about this, or I feel hopeful about this. And if you tack that on to what you're doing, they'll suddenly go, oh, it was full of heart. Because I I like like the subtlety, and I like the fact you draw us in, and I like the fact there's a a maze to be explored. Yeah, I I do feel like they do want some structure, and structure is not my speciality. I feel very. I feel. I was listening back to a recording for 2018, a show I did, a, a, a sort of show that I wasn't very confident about. Looking back, I look back on it as my worst show, and I listened back to it last night, and I was laughing because I'd forgotten everything that I, you know, most of it I hadn't been doing since, and I was attempting to do structure. I had this re, uh, this thread running through it of um, musicians who are confessing to be a nonce in their lyrics. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's just a songs from the 60s onwards of, you know, men saying, hey, little girl, is your daddy home? And all that sort of stuff. And I just thought, oh, there's paedophile Bruce Springsteen there. And that was my way of saying, here's some structure. There's a nonce theme running through. And sure. um, so things like that, I was, you know, reoccurring bits or, you know, I was trying yeah. to do summaries at the end of bits or, and this is how my perspective changed. And every time I saw myself doing that, I just, I just sort of felt my, my, uh, I felt going cold. I was like, mm. oh no, what? No, 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 no. Because um, I don't feel, I don't see it in that way. I don't know if anyone does, but maybe some people are good at pretending. Mm. That they're able to sort of say, so here's my premise for the show, and here's what I've learned, and as you say, here's the here's the premise revisited, and we can all go home, you know. But I just I just don't I don't experience life like that. It's just a no, series of I, weird well, moments. I I feel like I, one of the things I love about you is the collage. So we get your world, and we get the kind of there's you know the analogy. Oh God, we'll talk about this in a bit. You're so good at analogies. That thing about middle class people. If you tiptoe over the gravel, they can't hear you. I'm, I'm, forgive me, I'm spoiling a joke here, <laughs> but they haven't uploaded their personality, and it's like opening a dishwasher before the cycle finishes. That's such a good analogy. That's so like to me. That's like oh, I know who you are. You're the guy who notices that and says it in that way. That's who you are. Like that's you know character is plot. This is a man thing i'm obsessed with character is plot actors look at the script and go what's my character and you get mamet would say no the 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 character is all the decisions you make right if you're the guy that bent down to pick up the dog or you the guy that decided not to do the heist that's all the information you give the actor <laughs> that's your character the plot right right so right. i get that i see that from you but you we i'm getting off topic you um you you talked about so that a, a director or someone would say um or you're sorry we were talking about structure and i don't think structure is entirely it is what i mean but it's all it's only part of what i mean whereby i think some comics come out and say the world is like this and i am like this and they kind of they underline everything in a way that i feel often they get away with and people clap and go mm. oh that's clever they told us and i i don't want it all on a plate no I want that's not how the to... world is and i don't and no. i think the more sure you sound the less sure i am of you to be honest i mean i yeah. i think oh, very well put yes totally agree with that because that's not how life is if you're sure then you're doing something wrong you know and yes. if you're 26 and you're a nice looking middle class <laughs> kid talking about talking with certainty i just go well fine that's not for me that's not yeah. my world. That was not. What, that's not where I was when I was twenty six. And you know, how dare you even be sure about anything? You shouldn't even be saying hello with certainty. You should be. You should be <laughs> trembling with with terror, even feeling like saying hello's all right. I just feel like I feel like um, people get uh, rewarded for being uh, for having a low like low emotional frequency. You know, there's like this patting on the back. If you can show if you can show your workings, that's more important than other things in some ways at times not all the times and i'm not i, I wouldn't generalize because there are brilliant talents who are someone like spencer jones mm. is a clown and he he gets all the, the the praise and success he deserves by being bonkers and fr from it being one thing to another and we go oh, where's he going next and we just it's delicious and we want to go there wherever it's wherever it is so it's not it's not the constant thing but sometimes i feel like you yeah if you show as you say if you if you show your workings they're like oh very good very good and i, I just I, I don't have that i don't have that skill i wasn't very good at school i can't i can't get my head around the intellectual side of it very well i just want it to feel thrilling 
you know, from one moment to the next. I want it to feel exciting. And where are we going? What's happening now? And try and join it together as best I can without it being clunky. Um, I suppose that the, the next thing that makes me think is you can do that because in stand-up we can all just do what we want. The only clash there is with a potential kind of it's a, it's a, a clash of the marketplace, isn't it? Like, like if you are doing your art and enjoying your art and embracing it and saying the world how you see it, the only thing that matters if someone were to go, if a critic or a director were to go, oh, but what is it? You know, what is it? Is it in there? Is it? I mean, is it, is this the case that all that would make a difference to is the marketability of it, and how how important is that to you? Because I think probably most artists have to go. This is the way I see the world. But if I want to be successful, I have to either be so incredible that I like Prince. Do you know what I mean? That I kind of mm. bring along everyone to my world. Yeah. Or that you go, well, here's how, here's the reality and the, the fuzziness and the, and the confusingness of it all. And I've got to slightly knock the edges off in order that I then get on telly or, you know, yeah. build whatever. Well, I mean, that's, that's a very flowery question, but I know what you mean. It's like Kitson is Prince, isn't he? He's the guy that plays all the instruments, does his own, plays the bass. Uh, I, I sends his own mailing list out, you know, does the drums yeah. and manages himself it's all it's all him and yeah. it's and it's like well when you are that brilliant um but he know it's like when you when you know you're brilliant and when the world is telling you you're brilliant you you can trust that you don't need an agent anymore and you can trust that you can do your own marketing because the feedback you're getting is so strong and so clear that it's it's undeniable do you know what i mean mm. um and i think there's a lot of people sort of um scrambling around for for the territory it feels like you know except for people like him there's a, a lot of other people in what feels to be like a a kind of uh a pot you know scrambling around and and feeling that they have to define themselves by the the usual means um and that eventually everyone gets kind of worn down by what becomes the norm so you see it in surgery people have lip jobs eventually because they're like well fucking hell everyone's got these lips i'm you know I, I better have these lips and it's like now i'm on instagram as well i don't have a smartphone but i'm on instagram and i do my you know i do all that stuff and it's like i find myself getting caught up in it going oh fucking hell i used to hate all this mm. and now i'm part of this thing of oh you must put out a reel you must put out a picture you must do stories you must you know and it's like you can see how Unless, you, as you say, unless you are absolutely flying and almost almost deranged in how lopsided you are to, to, towards the thing, you have to, you feel that you have to play some sort of game or, or sort of be aware of your brand and uh, how, where to position yourself and all this kind of bollocks. But all of those all of those things are, I think it does does it. I'll ask it. I'll ask that question the other way around. Does that simply um, come back to the marketplace or is it about the kind of the fan base because if you want to do the work that's the thing I like for me I want to be selling tickets I want not because I want loads of money from tickets but because I want to play to full rooms I want to feel like I'm a success so that's why I would then try and do and it's come up on the podcast a few times recently I've just started doing Instagram off the back of this massively viral clip of me on someone else's reel <laughs> someone else's page and nice. I've tried to sort of spin that into 
creating, you know, and, and I've had a couple of viral things and then of late, not so much. And I felt myself go, oh, well, this was very easy. And I felt very objective about it when it was flying. And yeah, now yeah. I hate it again. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, this is awful. But, but like for me, the, the, the motivation to do that is to get it seen by people. Yeah. So maybe it isn't just about ship selling, you know, shifting units, selling tickets, becoming a glitzy famous person. Because again, I think, <laughs> you know, I do think at my core, the the experience of performing to a nice full room, doing new stuff you care about and are excited by, is the same sensual experience whether it's fifty people or five thousand people. Yeah, absolutely. So, so so I shouldn't care at all because I want to be an artist and I want to do the stuff. But we sort yeah. of end up caring. I know what you mean, and you, a sensual is a lovely word for it as well. I I think it's like you've done fifty people, and then once you've done five thousand, you go right, okay, we've you know, we've moved to the next level here. We we're right. Yeah. We're, we're, this is the this is the level. So it's like you were saying the other day to Brett Goldstein about once someone's absolutely ripped for a role in a film, they then have the pressure of keeping the body. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like and it, <laughs> well, it, that's never been more relevant. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been training yourself. I heard you saying so. It's like once you start making progress, you're like, oh fuck! If I was just in mediocrity forever, then I'd be fine because there's no real. There's no real drop from that. I mean, the drop is less seismic than dropping from greatness. Yeah. So it's like, oh, shit, I've really, you know, I've put myself in it now because I've, I've got this newer, higher standard as norm. But isn't that just another illusion? Are we not people of art, Tom? Like, that is just an <laughs> it illusion, is. isn't of it? Of course it is. Of course it is. But it's so tricky distancing yourself from the illusion when the illusion is coming at you all the time from all angles. You know, and we're constantly being told to live in the illusion, live in the illusion, give into the illusion um, and play the game, play the game. And you've got to try and remember that it's a game. And sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's utterly absorbing. You know, I saw if Jesus was alive now, he'd probably have a little glance at his Insta page. You know, he'd probably <laughs> if, G, if Jesus and Buddha were alive at the same time. There would probably be some sort of rivalry and Buddha would be meditating and, and he'd find his thoughts drifting towards how's Jesus doing on Insta compared to him, you know, and he'd be like, what is going on here? You know, this is a man that's not had a thought for six months and then suddenly it creeps, you know what I mean? It creeps in. You're like, fuck. And it's just, yeah, you've got to keep pushing back, haven't you? You've got to keep remembering. Oh, hang on, hang on. This is just a computer game. I'm playing a computer game. I can put pop down the remote, you know, and um, go and have a breather because this isn't real. But as long as you're, as long as you're aware that it's a game, I think that it's okay. I think it must be some of the people I'm, I'm most um, envious of in comedy are people who are kind of post fame, who can say, well, I did the arenas and I yeah. didn't like it. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> then they don't have to do the arenas because they can have an opinion about it from the perspective of having done it. They go, well, yeah. I, did, I did QI for 20 years and, uh, and you know, I'm happier now in my shed noodling around in my stuff. I don't know who these people are, but that's kind of because I'm happy, you know, in doing the equivalent of noodling in my shed. Yeah. It's just that I'll, I'll never know if I'd have felt differently noodling in my shed if I'd had 20 years on QI beforehand yeah, or whatever, yeah, the, yeah. whatever the status thing is. And no one will take you seriously. Seriously, if you say, well, I thought about doing 20 years on QI, <laughs> but do you know what? I just know that it's an illusion. So I'm going to go and hang out in my shed. But it's like, yeah, it, right. You just couldn't yeah. get there. You can get totally, there. Totally, totally. But again, that, that sort of factoring into the, the grand illusion. Yeah. If you did have the wherewithal, and I think that's what Kitson's got. He has the self-belief. This is purely from the outside. Um, I think he 
he appears to have the self-belief where he can go, well, I, you know, it's almost like he, he's the only one of us who has the moxie to go, not even the moxie, the, just the sheer rock confidence in himself, ostensibly from the outside, yeah. to go, yeah, I'd rather do that than 20 years on QI because I know that I'd end up in that point. So yeah. so almost, and, and that's part of the the kind of the myth of Kitson, isn't it? That's why his, you know, his name is whispered in circles because he, by opting out, by being, in the same way I think Eddie Izzard apparently, um, when they were, uh, when they initially didn't do TV. Yeah. You know, Eddie didn't do TV. And uh, so if you wanted to see Eddie, you had to go live. Yes. And like, imagine making that decision now and going, well, I'm not doing TV. And you could believe it in your heart. And then 20 years later, people are going, well, well done. You didn't do TV. <laughs> no yeah. one knew who you were. Yeah. No one made a pilgrimage to you. Yeah, your protest is useless unless someone heard it. Yeah, right. It's all, so, it's, yeah. Oh. It's like boycotting something. Do you boycott, uh, do you boycott Greg's? Or do you go in and buy the vegan sausage roll? You know, which one's better? Which one's cleaner? It's like, if no one's listening, who cares about your little protest? You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I think if you're, you know, I think Kitson, I think anyone uh, who who has their own thing like that, it's not, it's it's a combination of a million factors. And, and you, you're getting your feedback from the world all the time about what they want from you, what they'll let you get away with you know what they what they think you are where you stand and, and he kind of knows he's probably done some he's done some tv didn't like it but also was so brilliant that there was so much buzz around him that i think it's like a little a constant little cuddle from mummy saying go on you can do it you can do it and yeah. I, I don't have that i don't have that sense that i'm invincible that people will come people will find me because i'm getting enough i get enough feedback that says you know there's work to be done there's still work to be done a lot of work to be done and you have to trust your own feedback loop. And yes, he's exceptional. There are lots of exceptional comedians. Well, there's there's a handful, should we say, of exceptional comedians. And he's the one guy that doesn't seem to have needed any of that stuff after a point. And that's just his particular thing. It's not you can't replicate that because that's his feedback that he's responding to. And my feedback is I've had a preview recently that I had to pull because only six people came. So I can't I can't swan around saying, I oh, know I won't do QI. I won't. <laughs> so this is Tom. I love it. I love how sensitively he's exploring things. I love that he's nuanced. I love that he's ambiguous in loads of different ways. And I really am enjoying that sense that, um, that I, well, I tell you what I'm really enjoying. I tell you what I, I tell you what I, as an interviewer, am really enjoying. I love talking to people who are brilliant about why they don't think they're brilliant. I think if there if there was a sort of tagline for this, a, a, a logline or whatever it's called um, for this podcast, it would be that: getting people who are absolutely brilliant and inspiring on the show, finding out that they don't think they're all that, and then trying to work out why. Mwah, absolute music to my ears. So, just a reminder: Tom's show Anthem is at the Monkey Barrel at the Edinburgh Fringe for the whole run but not every night at 10 25 my own show is at 1 25 for just the first week the 4th to the 11th i hope i shall see you there um, and you can catch up with tom at tom ward voice or on instagram at tom ward comedian uh, my own instagram handle as you know is at Stuart goldsmith comedy but if you look at the show notes for this episode i don't know whether it's an improvement or a dog's breakfast in the show notes i've had to put you can find links to my show at edinburgh podcast community links social media handles and comedy clips and my new official youtube channel talk about that at the end um all via Linktree slash Stuart Goldsmith or via comedianscomedian.com and stuartgoldsmith.com. So there's so many links and so many sites. Christ, will no one help me uh, manage my very mangled funnel? I'm getting there. 
but I don't know if it's I don't know if it's any better. Go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders uh, to get all the extra content from Tom about his Casio beats, which are stolen by his own admission. His stolen Casio beats, keeping his ambiguity accessible. Accessible ambiguity. Mwah. That do you remember the episode with Jonathan Coulton where we talked about finding uh, the mundane in the monstrous? Come on, this is just it's pure com com, so get it straight into your veins in just a second. Um, if you are, uh, what would I normally talk about now? I think I've done all the things I would normally talk about. I'm just sort of quite enjoying this one. I've just recently had a coffee, as you can probably tell. Um, oh, that's what, and I've just thought of something to talk about in the postamble. School reports. Remind me when we get there. Uh, let's get back to Tom Ward. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about your feedback loop, um, mm. because one of our we had a very memorable, memorable to me interaction. Uh, uh, we were messaging one another after that comedy store gig, oh, I thought which was that. like the yeah five hundredth <laughs> birthday of the comedy store or something, and it was like a crazy lineup of I think Paul Merton opened and. Do you know what I mean? McIntyre was there and Bishop was there and you know just like a, yeah. a galaxy of stars. Jack D. Jack D. Omid. Um and um and i messaged you afterwards completely without agenda to say that was hysterical oh my god you did brilliantly and you texted back something like we both know that was a death and i was like <laughs> oh my god i'm gonna get this guy on the podcast because what the fuck are you talking about and i was like prove i was like i was there with i think i was there with uh, addy vanderborg ben norris someone else like proper you know my my era um comedy store headliners the people you want to be like 
and we were all killing ourselves laughing at you. And then you said something like, well, you're very kind. And I was like, here we go. What's going on inside Tom's mind? <laughs> How do you look back on that show now? Because I, that was unequivocally brilliant. Do you know what? Wow. Um, do you know what? Uh, that night, that day after, I think you, did you message me that night late or the next day? But I was so, I was so appreciative. I thought, oh, this guy is so, I just thought that is a love, bearing in mind that I thought I'd had a horrible gig. Either way, either way, it was just nice because you're like this mythical character that kind of floats around talking to people, <laughs> doing your shows, doing podcasts. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, the doctor has messaged me. Um, <laughs> private doctor. Um, and this, you know, and I was like, wow, this is so sweet. And then I thought, well, is he humoring me? Because, you know, you go, I'm in the paranoid state. I was heartbroken after that gig. I went backstage and I cried. I, could, I was basically nearly in tears as I came off stage and I went back into the little, um, the area directly behind the stage in the comedy store. So next to the green room, oh, there's a kind of... The, the little rat run, the kind yeah, of place like where a the fuse box. Are. Yeah, yeah, it's like, do not, <laughs> yeah. don't come in here through high voltage, that kind of room. Yeah. Loose tiles around and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'll go in here for a cry. So, and then it became a big cry. And then, uh, you know, the sound engineers were, were walking behind me and just getting on with putting cables away. <laughs> and then, then uh, and my agent came in and gave me a little cuddle. And I was a mess. I was a mess because I felt like it was like an absolute, it was such an honour to be asked to do the Comedy Store's 500th birthday. And with all those big bollocks on the lineup, you know, wheeling out the big boys and then me towards the end, I know, but I was just oh, like, I mean, wow. It was, a, it was a totally thankless place on the bill. Did you follow Jack D? I followed. Who did you follow? I followed Rich Hall. <laughs> yeah. And he overran. He did 25 minutes. He was supposed to do 10. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, are oh, you bastard? What was fascinating to me about that was that you were, I, I remember at the time, the only bits I remember were you did something about having a raven on a gauntlet. A glove. Yeah. A glove. A glove. Yeah, and I was describing female fantasies being more, yes, um, yeah. <laughs> being more layered than male fantasies. But this is it. You were talking with nuance and kind of depth and richness. And it was like there was a lot of kind of very highly skilled, broad, observational stand-up from famous people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And to have, like, you stuck to your guns. And I remember thinking, <laughs> he is not pandering to these people at all. You're playing it for you. Yeah. And I didn't know that you were dying inside. And oh. I don't think any of us did. None of us knew. None of us could tell. And, of course, that awful thing in comedy is that you know what your greatest gig is like. And yeah. anything that falls short of that in that environment, you're going to feel like is terrible. Yeah. But I, I hadn't seen you for a couple of years and was right. just in awe. I thought it was fantastic. That's amazing. So I just think that feedback loop is so sort of dangerous how did you how long did it take you to come out of that the next day if oh. we accept your your version of events which is wrong and stupid well it wasn't the next day let's just say that and i didn't wear the t-shirt that i wore on stage for about six months oh, so I, I retired the t-shirt <laughs> i've only i've only recently started wearing it again and uh, and uh, that's nearly three years ago i think it i think it was 2019 <laughs> yeah, was and it? uh and yeah i've only started wearing it again but every time i put it on i'm a bit nervous that you know it might affect my day or um, that I might revert to type 2019. Oh, that fucking t-shirt, man. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but I was, um, yeah, I was very, I was very low for a few weeks. Actually, it was one of the one of the hardest reactions I've had to a gig. I've not had gigs where I come off stage feeling as disappointed very often as that. I would say that's probably top two, three. I can't really, yeah. Do you do you think? And, and again, I mean, I, I want to stress that, like, I've not, not brought you on here to talk about what you regard as one of your worst gigs ever. But um, but do you think 
what could you have done differently under the circumstances? What is it that didn't catch to you? That that I, I, is there anything you could have done? Presumably, you've spent some time thinking about it. Yeah, I think and that's the, that's what it is, isn't it? It's the regret over what you could have done. It's like you got to the crossroads and you just made the wrong decision. It's like you you went down the wrong road and end up in the woods, you know, screaming out "Hello." <laughs> and you could have been on the main road hanging out with your mates. And it's like, um, and, and that's how it felt. I just I just went down the wrong road and stuck to my guns, as you say, and that wasn't the right thing to do. I should have been loose. I should have, because it was a three, they were three and a half hours in. I was on it about yeah, half yeah, yeah, ten yeah. and they'd had, they'd been on since seven yeah. with a Lexi sale coming on and at the beginning. <laughs> I built this fucking place. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, McIntyre coming on talking about windscreen wipers. And I'm like, well, they've had three and a half hours of, of entertainment. And then I come on and talk about female masturbation. And it's like, it's too much. Just fucking take it in, you know? Just don't go into the thing. Don't just, just keep it light. Keep it easy. And uh, I just made the wrong decision. And that was the thing that hurt, I think. And it felt like the whole industry was there and had seen me be found out, which is always oh. the fear, isn't it? God, I've been yes. found out. I mean, I, I had an experience like that many, many years ago when I'd just been taken on by a, a particular agent who then held an industry showcase. And everyone struggled because industry showcases are awful. But yeah. I died. I died in a way that, like, someone came and put their arm around me at the bar and said, well, they didn't like you very much. Wow. Like a friend, you know, came and said that, <laughs> um, which was the right way to handle it. And years later, they said they really respected that I hung around afterwards. <laughs> and I was, wow. Oh, God, that's how bad it was. Um, so I do not, I mean, I do know that feeling. The difference is that that was like uh, that was kind of materially a death, whereas yours was simply not the glorious thing you wanted it to be. And yeah. I think you talked yourself into it being a death. Oh, yeah, you, you talked yeah. yourself into it having been a death. I think. It, I think. I think maybe the word death is wrong. I think death is the is the feeling. It's the creeping sense of regret that feels like death. I think death is probably just too broad a word. It's more a sense of there should be another word for. Um, having an experience that wasn't quite as good as you know it could have been. It's like yes. it's like having sex and coming too soon, and you you know, you didn't need to come. You didn't it didn't have it didn't have to happen. You're like you're, you're too old for this to happen now. Do you know what I mean? I did. I, you know, it's like that horrible feeling of oh fuck, we were just getting started, and then she's lying there going oh okay no it's fine no it's fine I love I love you I love you baby we'll just you know we'll go again we'll go again another time. And it's like that feeling of oh, this could have been a this could have been an all dayer. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's uh, talk then about a career highlight, um, certainly a, a professional kind of career highlight. And I believe I think you told me that you um, loved the gig when you did the Apollo. It was like one of your yeah. favourite gigs. Let's focus on that and more positive feelings. Yes, but still use them to get into your fucking psyche. Yes. So uh, talk, talk to me about that because that was one of those that obviously that is kind of regarded as the breakthrough thing. After which, and this is how my mind works. After which, presumably your money goes up. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like you go on there, you smash the Apollo. You did really, really well. It's a great set, and again, it was a a, a thought. It's just one of those things that showed you at your best. It's a thoughtful intelligent set with big big banging punchlines that are really original and you can't imagine them coming out of anyone else's mouth yeah no, it was star, a, right it was an amazing gig and i did do the female masturbation joke on that it wasn't in the final edit but it went well on the night um so <laughs> vindicated yeah and no, i was uh it was an exceptional gig uh it was really strange how well it went um i i was on stage and i came on and i was on late again so it was like the same sort of thing about three hours into the night the audience has had a lot of comedy and i was standing behind the screen you know it's a very weird moment waiting behind the 
Apollo screen, you know, the thing that slides up when the, the, the comedian comes out and the dry ice machine was all revving up. And I could hear the dry ice being prepared. I'm like, this is really, this is really, you know, behind the, uh, the curtain here. And, uh, I, and then it just started lifting. I was like, oh, here we go. And then suddenly I was on this stage of this thing that I've watched for 20 years. And I was luckily not so out of body that I wasn't able to, you know, be there. But it was just from about a minute in, I was like, oh, okay, this is going well. All right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. A round of applause. Okay. Wow. Oh, another round of applause. Oh, this is lovely. Oh, people are whistling now as well when they're clapping. And then, and then I got through the set and I, a couple of minutes before the end, I, I just thanked them for being there and how special it was to me. I did a Tez Ilias. Um, <laughs> And um, I'm just a northern lad from Burnley. They didn't believe me. Um, and uh, and then they, I said, I, th- I thanked them before I'd even finished the set. And they started clapping. And they started clapping and they carried on clapping and clapping and clapping and clapping and whistling and whooping while I was just standing there. I was still doing my set. And I, I couldn't, I just, you know, it's that weird thing of taking uh, clap the clap you know when <laughs> taking the clap when someone when an audience is just giving you that love it's just so like what do you do what do you do it's that awkward feeling of just take it just take it just stand there be grateful don't run away because it's so tempting just to go right bye 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 cheers bye but i just stood there and it kept coming and it was really odd to just all right okay great thank you thank you so much <laughs> at some point you start looking over your shoulder going are they has someone else come on <laughs> yeah 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 someone's come to grab the mic right next your next act <laughs> um and and then i did i finished in a sung share and then they i got a standing ovation and i and i've never had a standing ovation in my life so the one gig that i've cared about most and and it's happening and i'm like what the fuck is going on it was so strange and so amazing and yet i wasn't like you know when you're bouncing off the walls ecstatic and you're a bit of a handful like in a sort of like a child i was just kind of like zen i was so zen because i was like yeah that that's my act that's my act i just did my act that's i love that feeling so much when like you've smashed it but you're yeah not pinging around you're going yeah that's what i do yeah thank you I've uh, done the thing I do. Yeah, and people are coming at you going, fucking hell. It's like, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, it's like, it's not <laughs> it's not arrogance. It's just a kind of, yeah, but that's what I do all the time. And it was just yeah. nice that I could do that under the, the the biggest pressure and just do my act and muck about and chat to the audience and roll around on the floor. And I did an impression of McIntyre that they cut out and just, just messed about and had a good time. So it felt like I came off and I went, oh, yeah, no regrets. Nice feeling, really nice feeling. And to know that I'd done it again in front of the industry, in front of the cameras. And yeah, I don't think, I don't think Apollo is, people always say this, it's not what it was. You know, people, people don't obsess over Apollo. I don't know how many people watch it, but it still felt like a massive moment to have the best gig of my life on that show, you know? And that clip's there. And was there anything in the, um, was there any part of the feedback loop, the kind of, the Tom Ward critical self voice. Did anything creep in afterwards or was it bliss for a few weeks and then come back down to earth? What was the, kind was of, what bliss, was the, what was the yeah. post-coital bit? The post-coital was amazing. The four weeks, <laughs> about for about a week or I'd say about 10 days, I was just floating on air, man. I was wow, like, I felt amazing. And then I had a gig above a pub, you know, back to back to basics, back to the usual. And there was about 25 disinterested people in the crowd looking at me um like i was on some sort of register 
and and then I just had a horrible gig and went home and I cried outside and I was just like oh god it's ended the come down is here you know <laughs> I'm quite an emotional person as you can gather from the, um but yeah no it, it was and then now I analyze the clip and go oh that setup's a bit long-winded oh yeah that's a bit wait there's not a joke for 20 seconds why don't you just get to the bit you know yeah, okay. but not not too harsh not too harsh and going going into it, were you? What was your sort of mental state in the kind of weeks beforehand? And so, were you kind of mithering over choice of material? Was it like, were you stressed by it, or were you feeling calm and honing it and preparing? What What's your sort of, yeah? What was that like? Um, I tried to just treat it like anything else, which was to not um, not uh, micro obsess, you know, not not go through each word and go. Well, I've been saying it that way for six years, but why don't we just? <laughs> Maybe I'll try a new word for the Apollo people because I've watched Apollo and I don't think they'll like that word. You know, this is a very familiar <laughs> narrative. And then you get on stage and you've, you're wearing trousers you've never worn before, saying words you've never said before, and you're like, why isn't it working? Um, but yeah, no, I did, I did go through it, but I didn't um, fixate in a, in a kind of way where y- you know that it's there, you know that the jokes are there. The bits that you want to do, you know, the producers have said, oh, we like that bit and we like that bit. And the BBC has said yes to that bit. And you're like, really? They said yes to that bit. And I'm talking about pansexuals. And like, yeah, the BBC have said fine. And it's like, all right. So I'm not going to I'm not going to just dismantle the whole car, mm-hmm. you know, because um, the car's the car's all right. The car's the, the car is taking me a long way. And um, so I just tried to carry on as normal. And, not, and But it was obviously on my mind every other thought basically every other thought was oh apollo oh yeah that's coming up it was in my diary and i was just buzzing i felt like i felt like uh i'd had this pat on the back that i really needed someone said no no we no we do love you you know and it, it just after everything with the whole world shutting down and mental health being so fucking bad for to come out of that and get that call on a monday morning when i've just had a piece of cake you know, and I'm like, this is this is the best day ever. I feel, I feel validated, and I know, as we were saying, it's just like, can you feel validated without the world telling you you're wonderful? <laughs> mm, I, maybe one day, but for now, you know. So it was like, yeah, I was buzzing for weeks before, and I was buzzing for about a week after until, yeah, until the come down hit. Your uh, your mental health is quite complex. As I understand it, I saw a, a video about uh, complex PTSD that you did, yeah. I think, for the BBC. And I hadn't known any of that stuff. I thought you were kind of bog standard, common or garden, uh, brilliant but self-loathing comedian. <laughs> but that's some quite, I'm not, you know, that's some quite complicated stuff with regard to your upbringing and your parents and religion and all the other kind of stuff. Yeah. How are, can you, do you mind talking about it? Can you no, sort of tell us fine. where you where you are with it now because one of the things i'm enjoying about this conversation is you feel like you've got a handle on it yeah I you do. feel like you've got a handle on your mental health you've talked about therapy i know yeah. and i think you've um and you mentioned you were kind of meditating or doing yoga i think meditating before yeah. this you feel like you've kind of you've grabbed your mental health by both hands and i think that's w- sorry with both hands grabbing it by both hands would be kind of pointless embodying my mental health with hands <laughs> Yeah, that helps me actually, Stu. That really helps me to imagine <laughs> that my mental health has hands and I can just grab them. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's taken time, but I've I've had to. I think it's also a, a case of allowing yourself to be who you are from moment to moment. And I didn't really understand that. I've got a new friend called Rich, 
Rich Hardesty, who's got a debut show at Edinburgh this year. And he's like he's like a little boy. That's his energy. He's like he's stuck in little boy mode, but in the in the best possible way, rather than <laughs> rather than oh mate, come on, get over it. He's like he's stuck in the wide eyed phase of life's amazing, people are amazing, and he's he's had a he's had a, a really difficult life, but his enthusiasm for life remains, and his he's taught me that a lot of the stuff is to do with accepting what you need to to be moment to moment so if you're excited be excited no need to try and hide it if you're sad be sad you know if you've and it's like I I was always trying to mask it or hide it and I think getting better at just saying to people oh I'm I'm really fucked today so the other day I had a gig and I had a I had a meltdown in the daytime and I was I couldn't stop crying for about 40 minutes before I was trying to get on a train you know a proper anxiety attack like I don't know what it was it's just the thoughts there's no thoughts attached it's just a feeling a horrible horrible feeling and I was you know just falling apart and I was trying to get ready trying to dry my hair and you know moisturize my face while crying you know and all this tragic stuff and then and I was like all right we'll just go to the gig do the gig and just admit to everyone how you're feeling rather than you know keeping it in and so I told the promoter I'm really sorry I'm really really in a bad state I told the audience and the gig went fantastically well possibly because I had been honest about how I was Um, and I was like yeah so I think I'm getting better at just being like oh I have depression that's part of what I have sometimes I get attacked by this kind of brain thing where I just break down and I don't know why and that's to do with stuff presumably that happened when I was younger um and it's sort of it, it does feel like i'm being assaulted from inside and it's not even just me going oh i wish my career was going better or i miss my dad or oh my mum wasn't very present ah you know i don't go into it based on a triggering thought it's almost just like i'll wake up and go fuck i want to be dead so i've had to really get on it i've had a, i've got a little prozac now that i take every morning um antidepressant and that's just brings me out a bit and just being what I am moment to moment it's like this whole thing be yourself be yourself no one actually tells you how to do that they just tell you to do it and it's like for me it's just about moment to moment how how are you feeling right now and being honest about that and not trying to be cool not trying to hide it if someone's happy doesn't mean you have to try and pretend to be happy no one wins from that situation Mm. you know if you've got a grievance with someone try and deal with it now if someone's pissed you off say it now you know just come at it with the intention of right let's try and fix this now or let's try and address this whatever this is now so that I don't have to go home carrying it and thinking about it and waking up regretting it or having arguments in my head with some kid I went to school with 20 years ago about something I wish I'd said even now and all that stuff which you carry with you so yeah that's that's been a big part of it and is that kind of you said before the um like the anxiety attack i know it's not necessarily what you named it but that kind of you know that meltdown yeah didn't have like a kind of mental trigger attached to it and that's sort of that's interesting to me because i think almost all of my meltdowns have got quite specific thought kind of triggers yeah um like I don't know much. Is it's complex PTSD that you have suffered from? Is that right? Yeah. Which is 
so it's you know I'm not, I, I don't really know what that is. I watched your video about it, but it was a week or two ago. So I'd... that's interesting that you that you have a thought attack. I think I think with CPTSD, it's like you trauma is something that's activated subconsciously as well as consciously so with ptsd you can if you've had say a soldier has been has seen something horrific at war uh and then they're in a and then then they're in the urban situation again and they go past a car that makes a similar noise to the car that blew up or something like that they get ptsd or they're on a loud train or they're stressed because there's a lot of noise in the street and it reminds them of the situation whereas with complex ptsd it's it's kind of insidious. It's it's subconscious. It's it's okay. stuff that's happening without necessarily you knowing it's happening. So you can wake yeah. up. Maybe you've had a dream that's activated this feeling that you used to have when you were going yeah. through the thing that happened or the things that happened, and then you're in that state. So it can it, a lot of the side effects are fight or flight. So you'll find that you're you're in a social situation which is essentially safe, but you'll find yourself in a flight state as if you're in re- in danger and it's not yeah. necessarily physical danger but it's a type of emotional danger that you're you feel like you're about to be attacked shamed humiliated left out um and it's like well I got to get out I got to get out got to get out so for a long long time I was always just leaving everywhere I very rarely stayed in a social situation for long because it would build and build and build until I felt like I was about to be cornered yeah. Um, so it's it's more insidious. It's a more hard to place, and you just have to spot it and go, ah, that's happening. And and admit you've got trauma. I didn't admit that I had trauma for a long time. I just thought, oh, trauma. That's a bit. You know, that's disrespectful to people that have actual trauma. You know, disrespectful mm. to soldiers and frontline people and people who've had physical trauma. For me to bang on about emotional trauma is a bit wishy washy and all that sort of stuff. But I thought, well, I can't deny it. This affects my life. I'm I'm having regular meltdowns. I've had breakdowns and it's like well eventually you got to accept it and go well this is happening and what's the what's the effect what's the relationship between those sorts of feelings and meltdowns and what have you and and those sorts of um experiences and and your work like do you is there any relationship between because if you if if the fear of being attacked the fear of being humiliated that's something that i imagine exists within the sphere of how regular people see comedians like most people don't want to be comedians because of the fear of being humiliated yeah in part so what is there is there a relationship between those things is it is it sort of a different it's what you're describing sounds worse than dying on your ass on stage yeah, <laughs> so yeah, maybe yeah. it may simply be that oh, you know the comedy doesn't come near those sort of things it's weird isn't it it's so it's almost counterintuitive for people who have anxiety to go on a stage and st- stand in front of a room full of people um and put yourself in a very vulnerable position but i think comedy because you can essentially prepare and pr- practice and rehearse again and again you're not coming on cold are you you're not coming on naked you know you go onto a gig and you ha- you kind of have the armor of it being a fourth wall and the armor of being rehearsed you've said these words before you know that you've done a thousand gigs two thousand gigs you you've been here before or you've been in a similar situation before so you're not exposed so it doesn't activate that part of my brain that feels nervous like about meeting new people or going into a room and having to be socially engaged because you're at a remove you know you, you might as well be in a glass container with mirrored you know with mirrors on the outside and them looking in it's like you're not part of the room 
you're separate from the room. You're facing the wrong way from the room. They're all facing one way. You're facing another. You're not part of the room. Do you know what I mean? You're not part of their experience. So it's like yes. you're, you have armor. You have, you have your stuff that keeps you safe, whereas socially you're, you're exposed. You're in amongst it. You might be, there might be people in the room who are more famous than you, more successful than you, better looking than you, that are drawing the attention towards them. And it's like your specialness is gone. You know what I mean? That, yeah. Yeah, there's so many other little triggers that can make you feel like, oh, I'm not special here. I'm not wanted here. And it's like on stage, all that goes away, doesn't it, for a few moments? Is there, this might be a difficult question, and it might be a complete barking up the wrong tree, but is there a relationship between the feedback that you've been getting about where are you in it and your desire to not be in it? Do you know what I mean? That, or not your desire to not be in it, but the fact that if comedy for you is a safe place because you have armour, then maybe what the director was saying is try to take off that armour. Mm. Yeah, she was like, you're talking about class here. Why aren't you talking about what class you are? And I'm like, I'm implying it. It's implied. Listen, listen. Yeah. I prefer to imply than to say directly. And that, that preference is an artistic choice rather than is is that preference inflected by the need for safety or is it purely an artistic preference i think it's probably to do with safety but i think it's also to do with not wanting to be defined uh solidly by any label i don't enjoy that feeling i don't feel sure enough in any of my labels except like you said i think you were saying to Brett, this is the example I'm giving because it was the one I, I was listening to yesterday about that's the one label he's proud to have, comedian. Mm. Mm. And a lot of other labels feel like they're coming at you from someone else's perspective. Oh, you're a da-da-da. Oh, you're da-da-da. You know, and it's quite, I don't like that feeling. I don't like being told what I am uh, by people. Um, as a rule, I find it a bit like, no, it's more complicated than that. So I think I prefer to keep it vague because that's how I feel. I don't feel solid. But other people will have opinions. They'll say, oh, you're a white, straight, middle-class guy or whatever. And I'll go, all right, well, fine, I've, you know. But that's not, that's not, that's, that, you know, that's not relevant to me. That's not, I, I'm not going around. It's like their label, their, their desire to put a label on me sometimes feels like it's, it's an attempt to contain me. And I'm like, don't don't try and contain me. Just enjoy it. Let's enjoy each other. Can we just can we sit in that weird space where we don't know everything and we don't try and reduce each other to where we were born, how old we are, what school we went to, what your dad did for a job. You know, it's like people you can feel people fishing around. And you go, oh, you're not yeah. with me anymore, are you? You just want to know the stuff. Yes. I had a very a very confronting uh, a friend of mine, a wonderful friend of mine uh, called Hazel, um, who crops up from time to time on this podcast because I think she's very inspiring. She, When I we had our first children around the same time, and when I said, oh, do you know what you're having? She said, are you asking me uh, what genitals my baby's going to have? 
And it was a really, it was a, I mean, she was right. It was a yeah. very confronting question that made you go, oh, yes, why do I care? Am I yeah. preparing myself to treat that child differently on the basis of their gender? Absolutely. Yes, I am. I, of course I am. I didn't plan to. That's not what I, that wasn't intentional, but that is, of course, what I'm doing. Yeah. So I think there is similar, that similar sort of territory yeah. to going, yeah, why, why do we care what your dad did? Why do we, like I ask you, I meet other kind of parent friends in my little kind of parental friendship sphere. And I kind of, I want, I want to know what they do. Why? Yeah. So I can decide whether it's better than what I do or not. <laughs> and treat them accordingly. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's an absurd thing, you know. But but I think that's what that's what that, that's where that all comes from, doesn't it? Yeah. We're constantly trying to sort of pigeonhole each other. Absolutely. And I really I really enjoy the stuff that you've done on on sexuality and the fact that you've talked about having had relationship with men, but also I can't remember whether this was on your Apollo bit or whether I had it on your preview. That you sort of framed it as I don't, I don't I'm not going to say I think it was on the Apollo bit you framed it as I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm bisexual because I'm not putting the hours in that's like saying I'm a volunteer <laughs> but yeah I'm kind of, yeah that I mean that I absolutely melted I thought it was lovely yeah because there is such a temptation particularly in comedy to go I am this everyone so mm. I am available not purely in I, I don't mean it's cynical at all but. I'm this, therefore I am available to these markets. Yeah. Like, of course that's, that's part of the great seduction, part of the grand illusion, isn't it? That you say, you will enjoy this because of this. And actually to be not mysterious, but to be ambiguous is less of a, it's less of a sensible business decision, Definitely. but more true. Yeah. And I don't know if more people are, are are wanting to be like that and aren't, or whether they're just they feel more sure of who they are. I don't know whether yes. you know they're more sure of their brand or just more sure of what they are as a person. Yes, I'm not. I don't. don't it's hard to know, isn't it? For a minute, suggesting that people are announcing queerness, for example, as a means of catching a wave. I don't mean that. But no, what I know I mean you don't. Is, yeah, I, I just think that I think that there is. It is of benefit to be clear about who you are. There yeah. are numerous benefits to that in terms of your choice of material, the subjects one goes after, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, things are simpler. Absolutely. If, and if we, you are clear. Yeah. And actually it's, you know, comedy's fucking hard. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a way of making it simpler? Yeah. But I do, I appreciate the ambiguity. And I think, you know, this, this goes for all, all performance you know you watch a movie you want to know what the main you want to know what the main star's about you turn on the you, the first scene in a film is all about showing who they are where they are in their job what their relationship status is like we try and getting a sense of the person as quickly as possible so we can go all right okay this is a film about a 20 something man whose girlfriend's just left him and he's woken up with his face pressed against an empty baked bean can he's not in a good place you know you're getting the sense of the person straight away and we want that and obviously that that's that makes sense for people to mm. to signpost who you are and where you are, what your position would be, so that we can prepare and you know prepare ourselves. But I I really enjoy not giving people those things, um, and it's not like a, an aggressive thing. It's just a case of no, come on, we're better than that. We don't always have to. I don't have to come up here and say so. I'm Tom. I'm blah blah blah. And it's like you can you can get a set. You can get a sense. And and it's like it's complicated. It's complicated. It's not. I I didn't go to Eton. I can't say. Oh, I went to Eton. That's my persona. You know, it's all over me. You can see that I've got the kind of Eton face and the Eton demeanor, and I'm a posh boy. It's like, well, no. It's like it's it was. It, it's messy. You know, and if your story's a bit messy, 
then why would I suddenly polish it up and pretend that I'm this, that, and the other? It's never felt clean. It's like, you know, there's there's layers to all of the different labels that people have and want to put on you. And I've always found that some, and I remember a girl at a party saying, I bet you had a really, like, nice, safe, middle-class upbringing. And I just found myself so annoyed by her. And I was like, all I had to say was, well, actually, you're, you're wrong. But I just found that even the assumption made me furious. Mm. And I was like, How, you know, fuck off. Stop trying to sh- shove me in that little fucking uh, attitude you have towards those people. And I, I just, yeah, I'm very aware when someone's sniffing around for information. And I'm like, just let it go. Just hang out with me. It's all right. Don't, don't run back to your assumptions. We don't need to do that. Someone asked me, you know, asking me my age. Why do you need my age? What are you trying to get? It's like what you were saying about what do you do? Is it as good as what I do? It's like you're trying to work out where I am in my life in relation to a number and then where you are in relation to me in relation to my number, you know, so you can go, well, I'm actually 10 years younger than you. And I've already, you know, it's like, let's just hang out and sit in that tension and enjoy the fact that we don't know and that we like each other and we're not running back to a safety little, you know, a safety place where we have the facts. How ordered is your mind for writing, for work, given that you're, I, th- I think my assumption is it's almost like when I said that you, you know, you sort of seize your mental health with both hands, you seem to be um, on top of and in control of the things that keep you calm and happy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're meditating or exercising in Prozac in a different way, you know, or whatever it is, you're, you're kind of, you're, you know, I I know what's good for me. And so I'm doing it rather than I know what's good for me and I just can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm all about doing the things that are, are good for me. I'm really, really, really good at that. Um, I've always been quite good at pushing back and saying, no, I don't know. I don't want that. Um, so yeah, I'm all about the, you know, I don't go online in the morning. This is, you know, this is rare for me. I'm on, I'm on zoom here. You know, I, I wouldn't normally open my laptop till midday, half midday. Um, I don't have a smartphone. I you have a burner, don't you? I yeah. remember you saying, yeah. yeah. You've deliberately got a burner so that you can't get... I mean, that's what we should all be doing. That's what the people who invented half the fucking apps do. Yeah. They make sure they don't have any um, connection to them. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so you're only contactable at your laptop, which is work hours. Yeah, yeah. So I, I go to a cafe during the day. I, you know, I do my admin. I open my laptop and it's exciting, though, because there's, you know, stuff to see because I haven't checked it since yesterday. So it's like, oh, cool, you know. And then I go, oh, a few emails and, you know, go on Instagram. And then I turn it all off. And then I'm just at the cafe for a few hours, maybe three, four hours sometimes. And just um, going through the set or, you know, if I've got a preview going through, you know, and listening to previous previous one you know previous things and um maybe changing some tunes in the show or whatever and just make sure it's all off phone is off um and then yeah turn it all back on about three thirty four. so yeah i'm very i treat it kind of like a job but i really enjoy that um i really enjoy that feeling of concentrating on it and not having interruptions and not getting sidetracked by nonsense um because it is nonsense a lot of it a lot of the stuff on the internet is just 
really what is it giving you it's just oh it's not just nonsense it's it's nonsense that's been designed by people in labs to catch your attention yeah exactly so i mean it's not just it would be it would be bad enough if it were just random yeah it's cunning it's um strategic and it's um it's it just it it kind of like fragments your brain you can feel your brain doing going against itself and it's like i know how good i feel when i do one thing at a time and do it properly and I'm with the person I'm with, or I'm reading a book, or whatever it is. I'm not. I don't leave it. I don't live a, a fucking monk lifestyle of, you know, simple pleasures. I'm out having a good time, but it's just I know how unsatisfied I feel if the, if I am not doing the thing fully. So if I was checking my phone when I was talking to you now, it would just take away. It would just wouldn't be as good because I'd be like my attention would be split, my emotions would be split between expecting and hoping to hear from someone or checking to see who's been in touch mm. and then the emotional fallout from that you know and then talking to you at the same time it's like th- and that's what that's where we are at the moment in our culture and it's like it's it's not it's not necessary it's not inevitable you can say do you know what uh you're not gonna you're not gonna fuck with my brain or you're not gonna you're not gonna get to me i can just shut you off and it's not a conspiracy, though it is slightly conspiratorial that they they do set up these these apps to be to manipulate your emotions. It's not a conspiracy theory to say that they're trying to get to you because they are, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily that they're evil incarnate. They're just cunning businessmen and women. And it's like I just I just prefer to you know cut it off as often as I can. Are you ambitious? Yes, but I'm not quite sure what for. I'm not. There's not a crystal clear image of it. It's just more, more, and I'll know when it's the more that I want, and it's better than the thing that I currently have. But it's 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 as much to do with just wanting to keep doing the thing because it's always something, isn't there, on stage that you haven't. It's like oh, I want to. Oh, and it's always it's like starting again. So it's an it's an ambition to keep going and for it to be a bigger scale, but I don't know where the end point is. Is there another act that you secretly feel or worry you are a bit like or a bit in the footsteps of? Um, yes, I worry that I'm a Sean Locke, a little bit like Sean Locke, maybe. Um, but that's only recently hit me because people have a couple of people have noticed it, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And I and I, you know, you worry that maybe you've stolen uh, your whole thing, and I worry sometimes that uh, there are just someone like Finn Taylor is just bang dealing with the stuff, bang, you know, and it's like I'm, I worry that you worry that you're a light version. Yeah. You go, oh well, he's doing the big thing, and I'm just doing the you know sugar free bit. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very honest worry to accept. <laughs> I think a lot of people, I mean, I like asking that. I don't ask it so often, but I like it because I think, abs- of course, absolutely all of us do. And you'd be insane not to have secret worries that there are, that you're a light version of other people. But yeah. that's, very, that's very well put. Thank you for being so candid about no that. No worries. Um, uh, which comic would it be most na- narratively satisfying if they killed you? Ooh. Oh, God. Narratively satisfying. If in the they, movie of your life. If they killed me, it would have to be it would have to be an enemy on the scene, wouldn't it? I've only got a couple of enemies. Um oh. and yeah. Oh god. 
one of your enemies. They it enemies would have to be. I don't know. Would it? You don't need to name them. Well, I can't name them. But um, but I'm fascinated. You have enemies. I have. Yeah, I have one enemy, main enemy on the circuit, and we don't even acknowledge each other, and it's all a bit unfortunate in a lot of ways that I can't go into. No, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Enough. That's a real. No, no. Next time on Comcom, Tom <laughs> opens up exclusively Mate, about his enemies. This is how to get yourself rebooked in a few years. <laughs> My story only in Comcom. What is the bit that you are most proud of? Um. I really enjoy there was a bit I used to do about Tupperware which I really enjoy <laughs> but again it's from another time it's from another time um I think the stuff on Apollo about pansexuals uh that went really well and I felt really good about it and I didn't get I didn't really get any heat or being told I was phobic or anything like that which is important um I think yeah that that whole bit about gender blindness and the changing face of sexuality that felt just felt so good gender and sexuality you know having a revolution and how that plays out in in the real world i just found i just yeah i feel really good um what is the biggest what's the biggest thing about which you've changed your mind over your career in comedy um the biggest thing about comedy which you changed your mind on it's a very hard question Ooh, just sort of just sort I, of riff that one i think in terms of i think that i allow myself to have opinions and i didn't think i was allowed to have opinions that's from my personal point of view do you mean in comedy in general um i uh, no. let's stick with the opinions thing tell me more about what you mean i just feel that it's all right to have opinions that i'm not stupid i used to feel very stupid and that i wasn't really allowed to have an opinion because there were clever people that had opinions that had read more and been to university and stuff and i was like well you can't have an opinion because you're just not so just steer clear of opinions but now i allow myself or i have opinions that i'm not embarrassed or ashamed to to say last one are you happy I'm happier than I've ever been, but it's it's not something I count on, and it takes work every day, and and I take it I take it seriously the work that needs to be done. Um, but yeah, I am. I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. So that's Tom Ward. Come on. What an absolute corker of an episode. And as I said, that just that lovely balance between he's brilliant and he's brilliant at making stuff and delivering it and performing it. And it's just great. And he's not sure that he is. And he's sort of navigating this constant uh, mental health journey that we are all navigating to a greater or lesser extent. Quite a complex one in his in his case. Um, and uh, more on that in the Insiders Club sections, the, the extra content from this and all of the episodes that have them, which is getting on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of stuff available to you whilst you support the podcast. And lots of people, let's not forget, support the podcast and never get round to downloading any of the stuff. That is very welcome as well. Comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Look forward to Tom's show at the Monkey Barrel, 1025 nightly. It's called Anthem. I've heard a preview of it. It was incredible in preview. I dare say it will be even better by the time you see it. My own show, A Shared Illusion, a work in progress at the Monkey Barrel in just the first week at 125. And that's that. TomWardVoice.com to find out more about Tom. StuartGoldsmith.com to find out more about me. Join the mailing list and so on and enter an unfathomable web of links, some of which go to interesting places, but they cannot be returned from. It's exciting, isn't it? And 
Finally, my YouTube channel has launched. I've, I've got some help to put together a YouTube channel, a structure, a regular release schedule, all of those things I should have been doing for 10 years. Can you imagine if I started doing them properly 10 years ago? Let's not cry over spilt internet. Um, but you can find that. We don't. In fact, you can find it by looking for it, um, because at the moment we're still just finishing getting uh, a unique URL so that I don't have to go go to youtube.com slash KLMZTHXDTS3XCLY. I don't go there. I mean, God knows what that is. But um, uh, that is coming your way very soon. And I will, we'll of course, start linking to it in all the usual places. Next week, we have Jenny Bede. And then we have a little break while I go to Edinburgh, do a show, uh, see lots of stuff, and then either record podcasts there or set up the recording of remote podcasts afterwards. And we'll be back after summer. I hope you have... Well, I hope you have a lovely week between now and the Jenny Bede episode. And at the end of that one, I'll tell you all about the lovely summer that I hope you have. Thanks to Tom. Thanks to Nathan Wood for uh, editing and producing the show and all that business. Thank you to Moz, our brand new logger. Your podcast consultant is Peter Dobbing. And uh, this podcast is brought to you by the Foundation to Keep Hercules British. All right. Um, so that is that. And I'm going to talk to you now about uh, school reports and weather in the postamble coming up shortly. But if you're leaving, cheerio and if you're staying let's speak in a few seconds Hello. So my son got his school report. And of course, I'm not going to tell you the details of uh, Boutros's school report, save to say that uh, we read it aloud to him and teared up. <laughs> him and, uh, sorry, my, myself and mummy teared up. Well, I teared up. She did that lovely fluttery thing uh, where you sort of fan your face. Um, but I was absolutely in tears uh, just because it's his first proper end of year one, first proper school report. And so lovely to hear someone say nice things about your kid. But look, I come here not to praise nor even to bury Caesar, but just to ask about and um, to, to inquire about how would you, if you had to do 120 school reports, or no, is it 100? No, it's 60, 60, 30? I don't know. Third, per class. I guess one teacher does their class. Go with 30. If you had to do your school report, how um, uh, how automated could you make the process? Because this one felt it was brilliant. It was brilliant from the point. I mean, it's a lovely thing to read, but also brilliant from the point of view of the teacher. Fabulous teacher. Um, but if it were me, I would have built all manner of I, I would have learned to build or got to build or got someone to build me. A system whereby, and I was talking to my friends about this this morning, and when I briefly uh, wrote continuity on a freelance basis in between the uh, uh, TV programmes on the UK TV network, very briefly for a weird sort of summer job that got slightly out of control, um, I used to write them in Excel. And in Excel, you can create loads of little deliberate autocorrect things. So, you know, you can set it, if you constantly misspell the, the phrase comedian's comedian, for example, you can type the thing you normally type and it will and set it to automatically change it to the you know disaster set in disaster if you continually misspell disaster and it'll flip it to the right thing you can also type you can create your own codes right oh, god i saved countless man hours um not person hours because it was me doing them um and uh they were like so i would type in cu space and it would automatically jump to coming up tomorrow on this channel and so i just saved myself a huge wadge of time uh, until eventually they uh, changed the system and i couldn't really admit I couldn't be like, hey, can we go back to the old system, please? Because I had all these personal shortcuts that allowed me to get all my work done by lunchtime. Can't really say that as far as I understand it in jobs. So surely you would want to do the same thing with 
a school report if you had to write similar, nuanced, tweaked, but there'll be sections that were the same. What a joy that would be if you could get good enough at the system. I suppose you only do the once a year as a teacher, so you don't do that. But listen, what I'm saying is, um, so as to not simply pontificate, if you're a teacher, let me know if you do that. And if you don't do that, you should do that. You could set in little codes. THG space. And it would mean this pupil is absolutely breathtaking in their imagination and uh, <laughs> and in the way they treat others. But their personal hygiene is disgusting. Three simple letters, bit bop, like that. And you could just create loads of codes and then uh, stick it all together. That was fun. Was that worth talking about? I'll never know. So a little tip there if you use, <laughs> I think it's in Excel. Um, but it'll be something like that, if not. Um, I was going to talk about the YouTube channel, but yes, in, in mentioning it in the middle bit, I realised that um, I uh, we don't officially have a, a a URL, a bespoke URL for it. Um, so I'll just kind of wait and tell you about that later. But it's good. Gosh, it's great to have help. The Instagram stuff continues. It continues. <laughs> and... Um, after that initial, I mean, if you listen back to an episode from two months ago, you can hear me just off my tits going, oh, my God, I'm, I'm huge online, guys. And now it's it's a very different story, which I think is I, I feel pretty sanguine about it. When you kind of open the batting with two or three massive viral successes that get millions, then you're naturally the next few are going to do well. And then I think we filtered down now to 4000 plays per thing. And God knows what a play is. Maybe 4000 plays equals five people watching it to the end who knows but um but i think they're starting to slowly build back up from there so i need to maintain the mindset and um oh listen let's not even talk about that look if you've made it through this and you have an edinburgh show this is a public service announcement i might even do i probably can't be bothered to a special episode about this but maybe if you listen this far either keep this information if you're a fringe going comic who's doing the free fringe and soliciting any kind of donations either keep this to yourself if you're callow or tell other people that you think deserve to know in chatting to uh, diane spencer fabulous comic lovely person and previous guest on this podcast um i kind of mentioned in passing that i think this year the free fringe and i hope this one comes out before you're already up there um I mentioned in passing that in the free fringe, um, if you're soliciting donations and you're using an iZettel or whatever the equivalent sort of contactless technology is, last time, pre-pandemic, last real fringe, I think, or last time I did the free fringe, I was getting about 20% or 30% of people who wanted to pay doing so online, maybe 35% tops. I think this year that's going to be more like 70 or 80%. Now I'm, I'm doing pay what you want this year. So there will be a small, you know, contactless element to it, but you know, it's not, I'm not doing it in anger this year as a funny expression given the circumstances. I'm not up there for a month desperate to pay the mortgage this year. I'm having a nice soupy creative experience away for me. But if you're up there desperately trying to make money, as many of us are, Jesus, what with the accommodation prices and all of that stuff that we know, I think it's worth bearing in mind that you are going to get a lot more people who want to pay contactless. A lot more people won't have cash in their pockets. And whether or not that's the case, I think it's worth preparing for. So why not do what the walk-by buskers do, what my friend Steve Arooney does, uh, he who uh, plays music, uh, brilliant original music, with a small robot, Henry the Hoover, that you may have seen on the London Underground or elsewhere in the country. Um, 
uh, what he does, I believe, is that he has a board onto which he has glued two or three preset Izettles. We're talking an outlay of no more than a hundred quid. So you've got to be confident that you're going to be earning something at the free fringe, but you set them to whatever your price points are. I, you know, would suggest three pounds six pounds and ten pounds say and that way and already those hustlers among you are thinking i could leverage those uh, price points to see what people you know let's do some experiments um and i know that the uh well nigel Lung is beyond this now but the data scientists among you will be thinking i could change them daily and experiment with them and work them out so go and do that but get a board glue two or three eyes to it and say you can pay instantly by pressing your card or phone against this because otherwise i think everyone is going to end up with a huge bottleneck um of people there are going to be first week traumas as people realize that the incoming crowd can't come in because the exiting crowd haven't paid yet because so many more of them want to pay on contactless all right i'm going to clip this bit out and i'm going to put it on the facebook group to reward people for their uh diligence um because we should be having this conversation i think uh probably i'll just type it rather than clip it yeah, that makes sense. So I believe this episode is going to come out on or around the 28th of July, which means that you've got that weekend to get your eyes ettles and get your hot glue gun. Cannot recommend a hot glue gun enough. What an investment. You can just stick things to other things. Changes the world. If you get a hot glue gun and a, a concrete breaker, you can change the world. Something to think about. Anyway, have fun. I hope you'll make loads of money at Edinburgh. And I'll be back next week with Jenny Bede, which will go out in the very beginning of the Edinburgh Festival, the official launch date, the 4th, I think, where I will be re- doing a technical rehearsal at 10.30 in the morning, which I imagine will be very short. See you there. Uh, Tom Ward, remember, is on uh, the Monkey Barrel all week, uh, all month, rather, um, but not every night at 10.25. Uh, and I'm there from the 4th to the 11th, just that first week. I hope I'll see you there. I can't wait to see you come and say hello. Goodbye. <laughs> Lovely ending. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.